Coming up, Matt Chesse joins Ileana in just a minute. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. And now, it's the I Blame Dennis Hopper podcast, starring Ileana Douglas. Eavesdrop with Ileana as she interviews Hollywood's most prominent players about filmmaking, acting, and what really happens on the set of your favorite flicks and TV shows. Hello, everyone. It's Ileana Douglas. Welcome to the I Blame Dennis Hopper podcast. Hello, Tamara Berg. Hello, Ileana. My lovely co-host, Tamara Berg. We were saying we haven't haven't seen each other. Yeah, in at least a week. I've been watching you talk to other people a lot, so <laughs> I haven't actually I've been, been cheating able to, on you. I've been, I haven't been able to talk to you um, directly much lately. We don't. We, it's funny. We're speaking to an editor, so we're going to clip this along today. Yes, uh, we are. He is mid work. Matt Chesse. I love it. He's literally working, and yeah. he has come to the I Blame Dennis Hopper podcast. From the edit bay, and he's going back. We talk movies. This is the place to be. Uh, Next week on the show, I'm going to do a big plug for John Landis. We're very excited about that. Yes. Long-time friend, John Landis. I've told a couple of people. I went to a party last week and told a couple of people that John Landis was going to be here, and they were like, (gasps) oh! I know, so. and uh, our friend uh, Joe Dante is very jealous. He said, "Oh, you're going to have a competing uh, werewolf <laughs> director <laughs> director on, right? We have to have Joe back on. Yes, we do before we officially go into summer hours because yes. we we love Joe because he's one of our one of our first uh, guests. Okay, yeah. I want to get right to it because I do I, it. I bragged on the Facebook Live. You know, I'm not much of a ranter or a spouter offer, but I must. <laughs> Uh, I'm not like a sperm whale that's spouting off. No. But anyway, I have to say, okay, I've been to, I went to the, uh, in my leisure, uh, These, you know, I went to the Tom, I'm officially like an old person, I guess. I went to the Tom Jones concert. Woo-hoo! I went to the James Taylor. Nice. Uh, unusual, right? The, concert hey, yes nice one, Jim. and i thought it was just me uh the, you know in front of me I, I the literally the entire concert the people in front of me it was dueling uh one you know this uh couple kept videoing themselves it was bad enough when they were videoing the concert but now they're videoing themselves singing badly to delilah oh, i'm just trying to get out of the shot because they're you know right swinging the cam their phone back and forth and singing at the top of their lungs and then posting it on facebook oh good lord the woman next to them was uh taking photos and then editing during the concert picking out her favorites that's another great thing to do and the guy next to her i kid you not was picking out sunglasses on amazon and I was so what? distracted, and we'd spent all this money, like to have this fun night. I've seen Tom Jones in Vegas, sure, and I, I it was un- you know unbelievable, and you don't know what to do. And then, yeah, right, because you because you're not going to go. Hi, can you keep me out of your shot? Oh, Ileana's a bitch. Right? Is yeah, what some people gonna, say. They're or, get mad at you, or it's I paid money for this concert. I want to do it the way I want it. So I had just recovered from the experience of Tom Jones, cut to James Taylor, and it was literally like I sit in my seat and five, six, seven, eight, a family, mom, dad, her uh, young daughter and daughter's friend, they sit down and 
Sheryl Crow is the opening act, and literally they weren't in their seats for uh, 30 seconds before the girl FaceTimed her friend and then spent the rest of the concert, again, videoing herself to put on Snapchat or, you know, or whatever. And again, everyone in the front row, this new trend of videoing yourself has got to, got to, got to end. It's horrifying and it's, and it's so embarrassing. And like, I love, what what are people, are people really like, do they need to show, this is where we've come. It's, It's bad enough that they're videoing the show. They need to show someone, hey, I'm at the James Taylor uh, you know, concert. Right now, I'm singing. All I wanna do is have some fun there. I'm like, why are you doing this to your friend? Number one, why are you doing it to the people behind you? And why well, do you? And what need? about the artist who is looking oh, at yeah, a the bunch artist. of at a bunch of you know phones in his or her face? Not even performing to people anymore. But what is the need? So my question, in midst ramp, what is the need to show your friends? That you are having a good time at the at the concert. Yeah, I don't You're, get. It. I mean, you can't what, ask me because I don't have a good answer for that. I mean, I'm just trying to analyze it, and uh, and then sure enough, there's always one. And then to coincide with the guy buying sunglasses, mm-hmm. again, not making this up, guy in front in front of me playing fantasy baseball, <laughs> fantasy baseball. <laughs> During the entire James Taylor, James Taylor, you know, the guy's like he's older. He's never may never, you know. These are these are the waning days. No, but you that want. guy's gonna have some good sunglasses for his next James Taylor concert. At the so uh, that's my rant. And I somebody else commented on it. They went to see the Broadway show Mean Girls, and he uh, a guy on Twitter this morning commented that he that the girls in front of him the entire time. So this is a thing. Yeah. <gasps> So this is a thing. This is happening. If anyone has any ideas, just hit me up on Facebook and tell me how to uh, how to stop them. And now, segue into Matt Chesse, an Academy Award nominated editor for a wonderful film called Finding Neverland. I love that film. Quantum of Silence, of course, James Bond movie, Monsters Ball, The Gift, Kite Runner, which I absolutely love, and the upcoming film, Christopher Robin, straight out of the editing room. Yeah. Into the, are the bright I've lights? A, yes, Please exactly. welcome the mole Matt Chesse. Yes, right. I've got a lojack cuff on my ankle, <laughs> letting people know that I've left the quadrant. Right. Whoop, whoop, whoop. Well, this is Can very we... nice of you. Thank you. Thank Happy you. Happy to be here. We're very glad uh, you came. Thank you. And we're sprinted over. You did. Oh, Literally did a costume change because uh, I have a meeting at the studio later, yes. and uh, they like you to they like you to be interesting and creative and bohemian, but they don't want you to. Oh, I love odd. that. So yes, I had to yes. like, but I was, but you have a vlog cast, so I had, yes. to, get my, I had to get my vlog on. So. I love that. Right now. Mm-hmm. now, give me your uh, face when an editor, when a, <laughs> when a studio head says something really ridiculous. What's your What's your game face? I usually look down at my pad. I call it the sad pad. I have like a pad that I write things on or pretend to write Wait, things on. Is this on. it right here? That's yeah, my sad pad. Actually, no, I, I might need that later. Okay. That was safe you, stories. That was stories oh, that I that I noticed. Oh that, yes, those are those are stories that I deemed like, I could Matt, share I that were your, safe. It says uh, it says uh, we need milk, butter. Yeah, uh, exactly. There's nothing on this. Takis. My daughter likes to eat takis. Whatever theirs are, there's some uh-huh. sort of flaming uh, Cheeto chip that eats your stomach out from the inside. But the kids love them. 
The uh, and do we still are what's going on with test screenings? Are are people do people still do? I mean, my era that was the beginning of the horror of test screening. The nineties, I remember. Everything. Yes, we're full on in the middle of test screenings. I just Terrifying. did one the other day, and yeah. uh, they are exactly as you remember them. The guy always opens up with like, "You were one of the first audiences to oh, see," no. you know. Yeah. Fill in the name of movie and you'll notice some things that are, you know, not done and that's all going to be done when it gets to the theater. So don't worry about that. And, right. And then they and then you watch the movie and everybody's gauging the laughs. And then afterwards <sighs> you have the really painful control group where they take <sighs> 20 people. Yeah, out. Wh- how, what is that about? And what? they well, they say I the guy, the moderator says. I didn't make the movie. I have nothing to do with the movie. And right. you're all sitting right behind them, the people who made the movie. And so right. there's this sort of – and then people <laughs> Why start – Why don't you get to – this was my <laughs> – when I did the movie uh, many years ago, To Die For, they 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 test screened it a lot. And at one point it was almost going to end up on the shelf and then miraculously got into Cannes and then everything changed and they gave more time. But so I literally viewed – one of these things and where they pick the people and then every you know and then Gus Van Sant everybody stand the editor is like behind sitting behind like you know white as a sheet but that was my <laughs> first thing being a novice and not really knowing about movies going why does he get that why doesn't the actual director get to ask questions they I don't think the audience would care and the, in a weird way I feel like it would give it more context the thing that the director wants to know which would be informative yes, to him yes yeah, yeah. like the director probably notices like oh that felt laggy and they you and know they want to probe that exactly they want to probe the laggy if exactly. I can say that on a blog <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, but but instead they have it led by a guy or gal who works for the studio and is predisposed to quickly lead the group into like and what didn't work and yeah. did it play too slow and what was you know what would you take out? And so they start you say start there's an agenda you know that starts getting driven to greater or lesser degrees, and you, right. you're sort of like why are we going? Why have we gone here? How do we wind up in 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 the, with this angle in the film? Uh, exactly. You know, it's, yeah, it's 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 a particular horror that we all that we all right. I remember the and then I will move on from this. But <laughs> the guy was saying was there was there any character that you didn't like? You know, like that kind of thing, like uh, Humphrey Bogart, I really didn't like him. He seemed very nasty, very mean. And then, you know, again, this whole thing with why likability. And they'll take the analytic, which they call when they tally the numbers, and they'll go, you know, the villain is not receiving very good scores. How can we up the villain's scores? And you're like, he's the villain. We want him to have low scores. Wow. I know. Yeah. So that was it's, like it's it's remarkable. I thought that was I, I've worked with certain directors who really know how to read those sheets though and they'll they'll take they'll they won't pay so much attention to the tally right. and the numbers. They'll okay. actually read the sheets and they'll read what people are saying and they'll read between the lines and they'll uh-huh. glean what they want to glean and they'll use it to 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 empower the movie rather than just kind well, of taking taking the directive because it can you can really misinterpret can I, those things. Can I tell you that uh, a director named Martin Scorsese and <laughs> Thelma Schoonmaker, who know a thing or two about movies, they used to just read the cards and laugh. They would laugh. <laughs> Thelma Schoonmaker would go, you know, on uh, pretty much every card on Goodfellas was like f you. F you, screw you, F you. <laughs> like, and they would laugh and laugh and laugh. And people will write the <laughs> wackiest stuff. Like, I worked on a Nicholas Sparks film called The Best of Me. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, it's like Nicholas Sparks, like a chick flick. Or, yes. You know, and uh, Rom Drom. Right. I guess you would say. Yes. And uh, we had a note in one of them that was like, why did he leave the book in the, on the engine? 
<laughs> and we were like, what is that? When is there a book on an engine? I don't even like it. Was, and the person was infuriated. And yeah. it was like one of the reasons they were bringing it down. What frustrated you about the movie? So we thought about it. We thought about it. And the director came back the next day. He like woke up in the middle of the night. And he's like, when the guy goes to jump the girl's car in the parking lot of the high school in the flashback, he's carrying a textbook. Right. He puts her hood up. And he puts the textbook down, and you see it in the shot. And he's like, check it now. And her car starts, and they start flirting, and he closes the hood of the car. Well, you don't see him extract the textbook. So this person held on to that. The entire time they were watching the movie, and when they gave him a piece of paper, they were like, is the textbook still in the car in the flashback? Did they drive away with the textbook in her her Honda hood? Yes. I'm like, how can you – How if we've really not done a good job if that's your takeaway. That was the thing that you were most bummed about. Well, I or think people, that person was a librarian. <laughs> well, they no people seem to delight and find if they can find some of sort course. of crazy flaw or whatever. Anyway, I love all this inside <laughs> stuff. I'm going to go back to I'm my, all inside. I'm deep inside. Deep. We're deep cuts here. We are deep cuts. That's my whole thing. I, I loved. I think I and have I'm, a. I'm what? flattered that you have the editor on because they're not necessarily the people that normally oh, get, get the lights on them because they're they're kind of the plumber. I guess they were like the plumbers of the film business. It's like because you know. That a couple hours ago, yeah. the whole room was heaped deep in shit, and you no, plunged it, and you're and so the party is starting, and they're like, "You can go now. We don't yeah. really need you to stick around and tell everybody that we were the yeah. toilet was backed up." So we we carry all the dirty laundry. So we don't and we don't get yeah we don't get out in public much. So it's very, <laughs> very nice to. Just, very nice we to just we're just you. sitting behind you with <laughs> lashing you. <laughs> It's so – it's like that's always – is the hardest thing. I mean I keep distracting myself from getting my favorite question. But isn't the, the first cut the – is that just the hardest thing? The first cut is the deepest, as Cat Stevens once said. Oh, by yeah. the way, I heard you talking earlier about the um, shows you've been seeing. Yes. And I'm, I'm jamming from here to a studio meeting and then I have to get down to Anaheim to see – Mickey and Mike from the Monkees, the best, uh, great. They're doing a Mickey and Mike show, which yes. is like as that's all I really want from a uh-huh. Monkey show. So yeah, I'm going oh. to a dinner theater to see Mike Nesmith and Mickey Dolan. So I, I can I can relate to your Tom Jonesy and um, yeah, it's a good it's a good, it's a it's a good show. I've seen yeah. it. I've seen it. Very very musical. And uh, <laughs> Nez is in top form. I love Nez. Yeah, I just saw him at the Troubadour. I'm a big fan of his bluegrass records. He's on my Mount Rushmore of rock. I think. Yeah. He, he yeah. He's different drummer. Big big guy. Yeah. Different, absolutely. Different drum. It's Lynn. on my jukebox. It is. That, I I dig uh, more of Shelley's blues. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Which he does yep. do on the show. Yep. Does. Linda Ronstadt it. does a great cover of that. She's my gateway drug to the deep Nez cuts. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm a huge, I'm a huge Papa Nez fan. Oh, good. But he charges money if you want to talk to him. He's got one of those things on his website where he's like, for a hundred dollars, you can have a private audience, and I'll sign all your stuff. Uh-huh. You know, so it's like that reads. I'm not going to yeah. me. That reads. <laughs> That and his website is really like he writes long eclectic. blogs about yeah. the deer that come into his yard, and he gives them names and voices, and he oh, does no. like monologue. Like, does writes he about know the David deer. Crosby? Or are they yeah, all? I think they're all. I think they're all. <laughs> they're all. They're all tight. Yeah. I think they're all part of that Laurel Canyon. Yeah, kind of thing. Exactly. Um, <laughs> anyway, I, we, we want to get him on the show. And, and Who's Mickey, that? Uh, get, Nez. get him together. I think they uh, yeah. are a good double act. Yes, they're you know they they they. When I saw Nez at the Troubadour, Mickey was in the balcony, uh-huh. and uh, Henry Diltz, who's like the photographer, who yeah. like was like really good friends with Mickey's, he was there, and I think that them doing that Mickey and Mike show together was something they were really stoked about. If you notice, 
Mike Nesmith didn't participate in any monkey stuff until Davy Jones died. And then all of a sudden he was like, I'm in. I know. And I don't know what that's about, but um, I'm really I'm glad he stepped in there. I, I, yeah. I well, all the, the history, big, plus the movie Head, there's a lot of. Yes. I worked know. on the new monkeys television show. Which Wait was, a minute. I'm, you're yes. blowing my mind. There yes. was a new Monkees? I was a PA in L.A. in 87, <laughs> and uh, my first foray into L.A., and they, they decided to do a new Monkees television show with Bob Rafelson and, and, and Bert Schneider and the uh-huh. original guys who did the Monkees. Somebody had the great idea to reboot it. Yeah. But this time they were going to do it with musicians cast as actors instead of actors cast as musicians. Oh. And so they put together this okay. band and what a nationwide talent scout, and then they just sort of stuck these guys out in the valley in a mansion set that they'd made, and sort yeah. of were like, "Okay, do your thing." And they're like, "We don't have a thing. <laughs> we don't even know each other. We just met." And the whole thing was just like, Rrr. it was it was really gruesome. But uh, on my last day, I think I wore. You act up at the face about yeah. the pad when you yeah, write yeah. something down. <laughs> I think I had like a. I'm a huge monkeys fan, and this is crap. Look on my face a lot of the time when I was doing lockup. You know, ringing yeah. the doorbell. And I got canned eventually for, I don't know, I, maybe, maybe I had an attitude. But there was a head poster, like a Mylar head poster right. in the, one of the trailers. And I, re- I really thought about snatching it as I drove away. And just, yeah. like, I couldn't get it in my Vega, you know. I was like, damn it. <laughs> um, and it was probably Bert Schneider's, and he was a lovely man. So uh, I left it behind. But, yeah, I'm, I, I, was, I served on that new Monkey show. And it was, you can find it on YouTube, I'm, I'm sure it's. Oh, that's exciting! Gnarly. They should have had the old, uh, the old timers. <laughs> okay, we're gonna get to. Okay. Do you remember the first movie you saw and who took you to see it? Yes, I do. It was in Sausalito, California, uh-huh. on a Bay Area boy. Beautiful, and, uh, love Sausalito. I actually went to high school with your producer's husband. Okay, um, fantastic. So I'm, you know, Concord YBHS class eighty four. <laughs> CHS. Shout out. Um, yeah, she went to Concord. Uh, and uh, so we lived in Sausalito, and I think I was four. Mm-hmm. And there was a church up the hill. We weren't churchgoers, mm-hmm. but my parents were actors, and my dad was a big movie buff. And the one of the, guy, one of the kids at the church decided to show movies on Sunday nights. So oh, cool. he got some prints, and we walked up the hill from our house on a Sunday evening, and I saw the original King Kong, and wow. it was the first thing I'd ever seen projected. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, I remember being down in the front. All the kids moved down to sit in sort of a pile like that, and the parents were kind of in folding chairs in the back of the bottom of this church. And when they cut the close-up of King Kong the first time, and he kind of rolls his eyes, and I just flew from the back seat, from yeah. the front seat to my mom's lap, just just bat, you know, just <laughs> absolutely blew my mind. And then the next week, he showed Singing in the Rain. Uh-huh. So within two weeks... I saw Singing in the Rain and King Kong, and I would, that was like the that you were was hooked. It, the hook. Yeah, that was a, that yeah. was a good one. I yeah. love how you say "cut to." You, <laughs> you even as a child, yes. you knew. I also say "fade to black." Yeah. <laughs> you knew. You knew. And the, scene. Uh, you knew. <laughs> you go to bed at night. <laughs> right. Exactly. So did you? So you said you were hooked, but was it a transition into becoming an editor? Were there? A, you said you worked as a PA. I mean, were there mm-hmm. other things yeah. before? Well, Bay Area was a really cool place to grow up for film because mm-hmm. we had George Lucas and Francis Ford Coppola, and my mom, to supplement being a stage actress, was a casting agent. So she worked at this company called Brebner, which was the big casting agency in the 60s and 70s and mm. 80s in San Francisco. So they cast Bullet and Harold and Maude and Take wow. the Money and Run and American Graffiti and all the mm-hmm. Dirty Harry movies in the streets of San Francisco. So yeah. it was very cool. – I was very 
like aware of what was going on. So it was like being it was like being in LA but getting to be in San yeah. Francisco. There was a lot of film culture and I got to see movies coming a long way off and then go see them and my parents were not filtering like a lot of parents in the 70s, not filtering what they were taking me to. So I'd go see Nashville, you right. know, first run and be like, ah, you know, yeah, it's just that time. They just Lots drop you in the, it's like throwing you in the pool. You'll swim to the side. You'll yes. figure it out, you know. It's like why did they shoot the lady? She was just trying to sing. I, I, uh, yeah, it, it was it was inten- it was intense. Film going in the my, it was my, like my, Russian roulette. You just didn't know what your parents were going to drop you into. It's oh a, no, a, my a, mom and her friend. Uh, I've told again this story before. Like thought it would be a great idea. We went to see El Topo. Yes, like, right. Like, like no no handrail for El Topo. <laughs> you're nothing. You're you're just out there in the just, desert. Just like what is this? I love that you brought up John because he's like one of my main men. Like I just think those movies are so so visceral and cool and well, off the hook and just like and when you see a guy sitting in a giant bong in the middle <laughs> of the desert smoking his own shit. It's practical. It's not a visual effect. It's like he actually built a bong or when the guy climbs a ladder in Holy Mountain and there's like a bunch of yeah. paper mache Jesuses. They yeah. had to make those paper mache Jesuses. They had to dress the frogs in the, you know, Quetzalcoatl outfits and put them on that. There's no visual effects in those well, movies. They're all it's like totally handmade, crafty. I love I love those movies. You know, it's an interesting thing because again, I grew up in the era where you know children were you know seen and not heard, and you accepted that. And so again, if somebody took you to the movies, like you, it was accepted that it was not understandable. And they but didn't you check said, in with you about it. It's just right. like you know, they talked about it. They're you, not. You sat in the back seat, going, "That was very odd." But back seat because you went to a drive-in. Right. 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 Right, and that's where you really—that's where they figured you're just going to go to sleep, and that's where you really saw like the you know Italian you know blue movies. Or I remember, yeah, I remember seeing like The Adventurers or something like in a drive-in, and just my mom was like, "I don't want you to see violence, so you, but I don't care about the sex scenes." So I would, I would be like, "Oh, they're burning the town and they're shooting his parents," and she'd like shove me under the glove compartment. And she'd be like, "You can come up now," and there'd be a boudoir scene, and I'm like, ah, "I don't want to watch this." And then as soon as the pistols came out, yeah, she pushed me back under the glove compartment. So I was like, "Why can I watch the, the boobies, but I can't see the guns?" You know, so yeah. was the art, you know, the the it art just, house, yeah, yeah. Um, so, so all of this is seeping so, in. And did you ever visit any of these sets? I mean, my God, you mentioned all these. Well, I have a films. I have a good story about the Bay Area film business. My dad and my grandfather and my uncle are all in THX, uh, the George Lucas film, and they cool. they have lines. Which are, there's not a lot of lines in THX, but there's yeah. like a prosecution scene where Robert Duvall is getting prosecuted, uh-huh. and he doesn't say anything. But like my dad's the prosecuting attorney and my uncle's the stenographer and my grandfather is the defense attorney and so they they have this scene together it's like a family film and cool. it's like all three of them and i remember them coming home from the set mm-hmm. and they'd all been shaved bald they were bald anyway but they had really taken all their hair down and they all walked onto the porch and i opened up the door because i hadn't they'd been down in like stanford or something for a couple of days shooting and, and i opened the door and i went to my uncle and he was like uh, you know, I'm like, Dad. And he's like, I'm not your dad. And I went to my grandfather and I'm like, Dad. And he's like, I'm not your dad. I'm like, Dad? Like, but they were literally, they were all back from THX. And I remember that very clearly. And then I yeah. think we saw the movie and I was like, what was up? What was that? You know, now. So, yeah, I mean, I was definitely soaking in all that stuff as a, as a kid. And if I watch anything from anything movie that was made in the Bay Area mm-hmm. in the 70s or 80s, like American Graffiti, Anybody who opens a door, drives a car, you know, gets shot in a dirty hair. I can yeah. tell you, Bill Jellif, Chuck Dorsett. I know, you know, I know all the all the extras' names because 
of the casting yeah. agency. So, oh God, I yeah. love wow. I love stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, and so then you be so basically, did you go to film school? You would start did I commercials. I, I, yeah, I did. I worked in commercials, and I kind of worked my way through through school doing um, doing PA work and mm-hmm. working on like a Whoopi Goldberg movie or a car commercial. They shoot a lot of car commercials in Mount Tam because there's a lot of windy roads. So, right. So I made a beautiful dollar in the film business, staying in San Francisco. And I uh, went to SF State and studied. Go Gators! Yeah, go Gators! Woo! Uh, it was. I have a good Gator story uh, <laughs> that you come back to. Remind me of that. But uh, but I um you know I uh, uh where was I going? With Sorry. That? No, it's all right. Go Gators! Um, you were uh, driving so, commercials. So uh, yeah, so I, I I basically made my way down here because I got on the good side of a director who met me on a set and was uh-huh. like, you know, you should you should you should come to LA. And, 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 and then I sort of – my brother likes to say that editing found me rather uh-huh. than I found editing. And how did you meet Mark Forster? Uh, well, I, when I moved to L.A., I was working for uh, a TV commercial director named Peter Kagan mm-hmm. who kind of put the finger on me in San Francisco and was like, you've got it. You've got the shine and you can come to yeah. L.A. and do anything you want. Well, that's true with and editors. It was really – and, you know, when somebody gives you – when you get the big beckoning finger, yeah. I've learned that you should take it. It's a very – very yeah. directional moment, mm-hmm. faded moment. So I moved to LA, although I didn't really, really want to, and uh, and so I I worked. I I started off at the production company, and a friend of mine who was also a PA went. He was a screenwriter and had always been a, a writer. So he went that way, and I went towards editing. And then at some point, he met Mark at lap dance, slam dance. Some Slam dance, dance. <laughs> yeah, lap dance. Yeah, so one of the one of the dances uh, festivals that occur in a small area of Utah. He went to a dance festival, and he came back um, with uh, this relationship with Mark, and they mm-hmm. wrote a script together. And he showed me the script, and I was ready to. I would sort of cut everything but a feature, mm-hmm. and I read his script. And sometimes you read scripts. I'm sure you've had this experience as an actress. You, sometimes you read them, and you're like, oh, okay, there was a slow and part. Other times it's just like. <laughs> Right. You see the film. And so right. I read this and I saw the movie and I really got it. It was kind of like Repulsion and mm-hmm. kind of like Rosemary's Baby and kind of like Safe, the Todd Haynes movie. I just get, really saw it and I was ready. And so I said to my friend, I really want to cut this. My friend Adam Forgash, who wrote it with Mark, and he said, well, you should meet Mark. So Mark and I got together and cut an actress's reel, which is what you do when you're learning. When you're kind of coming up, you're like, right. everybody's got a reel or a commercial. Right. So we spent an afternoon cutting this reel. And he was like, I think this could, you know, I think this could work. This is good. You know, we got a groove. So he yeah. he let me take over that, that film and I delivered strong and we've been partners ever since. He was very appreciative. That's well, I mean, that's so great to have a relationship oh, yeah. like that with yeah. a director. Because then it's sec you know, And he you knew know me he, when, you know, we like both came up, you know, we both sort of had all these milestone moments where it's like, We got into Sundance, you know, like right. you know, Halle Berry got, you know, nominated for an Oscar. Halle Berry won the Oscar, you know, so we have all these things that we that we share where you kind of think like it's just you've, you've hit the mountaintop like i made it into sundance with my first feature like i'm good right that's cool and then <laughs> and then the next thing you know halle berry gets nominated and then she beat out sissy spacek for in the bedroom and i never thought that was going to happen so then you're like oh my god she won the oscar and we were connected to that and then the next year i got nominated so you just it's sort of, we're doing a james bond movie you know it just kind of yeah you're having these moments where you're like is this really going down? And it was all shared with Mark. So we have wonderful, you know, wonderful mm. 
associations and things we well, check in with on each other. That was one of the things I noticed about your career as an editor. It's certainly not like, oh, that's the same type of, that must be fantastic to go from a indie film well, my to agent a loves Bond it. movie. My agent loves it. Melanie Rams here at the Gersh Agency. Um, <laughs> uh, my team, her. Uh, but yeah, because there's nothing that Mark hasn't taken on that. So there, there aren't a lot of genres that I don't have an example of being able to do exactly so that's great and that's just because he's you know got eclectic taste and he's got really good taste and he doesn't let himself get pigeonholed and he just wants to always be doing challenging himself so mm-hmm. i we move along and a lot of times you do get stuck in a camp you're like oh you're like a judd apatow exactly or you, or you do indie you're like you do those sorts of movies you're in mumblecore <laughs> whatever that is or you know and so you get prescribed to this kind of right plateau place and they sort of quadrant you off and uh and he just sort of sidestepped that for me and mm-hmm. by, by always sticking up for me and kind of moving us forward. And, and it was, it's great. I'm very, very cool. He has great taste. So, so I'm super lucky. When you're, I want to go back to the film Monsters Ball. When you're doing a film like that, or do you have any, I feel like there's more of an awareness now of, I'm cutting this for an Academy Award winning present, which there's nothing more irritating than sitting home and going, I'm not going to vote for you based on the cutting of this film. I know you're trying to push for an Oscar. Right. But it it, it feels like that predates what I'm now seeing in movies. But were you aware in any way, shape, or form, like, eh, if I cut this the right way, she could... Uh. There was a, there's a scene where she has a breakdown and wants to... You know, get it on with Billy Bob sort of mm-hmm. unexpectedly. She said, it made me feel good. You know, right. she sort of like, and that, I, I think that material, like, there was a kind of a big deal on the day. Like, they had like shot it over like three days, and it was right. a sex scene, and Halle Berry, who we didn't really expect to get, uh, was there, and she was a hot commodity. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, so there was like a, a, a bond on the fact that if a frame of it got out onto the newly invented interwebs that we would yeah. all owe them $50 million or something. Mm-hmm. And so it was very high, very high, uh, a lot of attention on that sex scene. And Mark really wanted it to kind of feel like, um, don't look now, mm-hmm. the Nicholas Rogue film. Right. And so he spent some time to make it kind of an interesting sex scene. And it's a kind of sad sex scene. It's kind of a bummer. I guess yeah. it's like kind of desperate. And, and so I kind of knew when I was working on that particular, not so much the sex scene, but the footage that leads up to it. Right. And it was really, it was, it was really chewy, kind mm-hmm. of um, good footage. And there was one take where she, they kind of are kind of, ad, they're kind of just sitting on the couch being those two people. It was kind mm-hmm. of a wide shot. And she just kept going and she kind of went through the whole scene. And I'm like, I'm not going to cut this i'm just gonna let it roll and i think i felt at that point that that particular take i was like mm-hmm. if i just let her show her stuff if i right. just let her do this what she's doing in this and i don't cut into it so that people can't say well you created that performance or she's you know you cut around something it's like there it is like she just did that she went from right. here to here to here right and by the end of the scene they're sliding off the couch and you know and and so i just sort of stuck that in there and i think i thought at that point that mm-hmm. that's that could get her you know mm-hmm. that's pretty strong for how she was really really amazing in that movie and billy bob took her to a to a deep place and yeah and I, so i was i was just i was just sort of uh, very electrified just you know with those dailies and i i did have a hunch i kind of thought she would go she would mm-hmm. probably get she would get a notice for being halle berry and doing something so street you know right and yes. she did yeah. yeah but i didn't think she'd beat sissy spacek in the bedroom <laughs> i was like <laughs> yeah it was surprising i remember i was in texas on a commercial because before she got, you know, you, you you have that period before things hit where you're, 
you know, you've done a great movie and then you're on a Chevy commercial and you're like, we just got nominated for an Oscar. And they're like, yeah, yeah well, what about the wheel hub? Are you showing the <laughs> torque and the payload? They don't, they don't care that you're in an Oscar race or you're cutting their Chevy commercial. Right. So I wound up in Texas and my wife was in L.A. and we were on the phone and uh, and and we were waiting for the best actress. And my wife started screaming. I was like, she won. And I was like, she hasn't won here yet. Because there was a lag in the broadcast, and so it was like a spoiler alert. I'm like, I'm waiting for see what happens. My wife's screaming. I'm like, yeah, she won. And then I watched her win. Um, <laughs> I want it because we don't have a lot of time with yeah. you. Because, like I said, you're working, so I, I can come s- back. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I want to move on to Finding Neverland, sure. Because of course, then you were also you were yeah. Nominated. That was the next one. Then I yeah, that so, was a great. So now you're known. Do you suddenly feel like, oh my god, now I got to craft Johnny that- Depp's performance here? That was another. I mean, it's, it's weird when you're editing. I think that you and I try to tell this. I taught at AFI last year. I ran the editing department at AFI, and I tried to explain to my students that when you get charged with that sort of footage, you you can't you don't really get overwhelmed by like it, you know what what the that is Johnny Depp. You just mm-hmm. kind of get into the granular nature of it, and you're looking at it like scene by scene, take by take, and you just right. that all you forget about all that. It, you know, it doesn't really matter what you're cutting if it's a pedigree dog food commercial or finding you know neverland you're just in it right and then you pull back and you're like wow this really adds up or you see it with an audience and you're like well that like that was really effective all those decisions by the Uh time we get to the end of the movie is destroying people you know and it's great and and, but but at the time it was exciting to go from monsters ball to finding neverland because it was a big it -hmm. was a big move i remember there was a shot that they did on the on the the fantasy sequence on the um on the uh, pirate ship mm-hmm. before he did pirates he, we had him doing a pirate and uh, <laughs> and they shot it on a green screen on a lot at the back back lot at Pinewood and I was in LA I wasn't on the location and I got the dailies and it started like a football field away and they just and they just tracked in and went up onto the deck of the ship and he turned around and started doing his scene and I was like it just I was like whoa we're not in Kansas anymore you know it was a, it was like I'd never dealt with something like a visual effect or so, just something of that magnitude it was very apparent yes. that we were that we were in a different playing field and uh, but you know then after a second you're just like but what's the best take and you just move on you know and you're like where do you where, get into the, the, into the groove of that person because again like I there are some Johnny Depp movies you know when you think of like Ed Wood and he I love se- Ed Wood. he funny. seems to just need a a breathing element, and then I saw him in like Murder on the Orient Express, and I I just thought, you know, that's not how you use Johnny Depp. Just like cut, cut, cut. Like you don't. He never really got to do anything. Right. He was like, yeah, that was a yeah. He was for like stunt casting or something. Right. Uh, I feel like he sometimes needs a like a prop. Like he'll like to have a you know a gold tooth or like right, know, right. a crazy accent. And he and that movie he wanted to have. The big mustache that J.M. Barry wore. He was like, right. I want to be authentic. I want to look like J.M. Barry. And he doesn't not look like J.M. Barry. So they did a camera test and they put the mustache on him. And everybody was like, You look like a child molester. And you're going to be playing in a park with a bunch of little kids. Like, you can't even, you know, no, we're not going to have the mustache. So they tore the mustache off of him <laughs> um, because it was, it was a dicey, there was a dicey thing about that movie where he's sort of, in the park with a bunch of little boys and they're right. inspiring him and like come over to my house and play and you know so and it so but we just totally sidestepped that because of like his his connection with the kids yeah Freddie Highmore who's gone on to do lots of other stuff yeah they did a scene where um, 
he wrecks a playroom. He gets he re- figures out his mom's sick and he gets upset and everybody mm-hmm. leaves and he trashes the playroom and Johnny just sort of sits there and watches him and lets him express his pain. Mm-hmm. And I think as Johnny was watching Freddie shoot that scene, he was like, wow, this kid's bringing his A game. And mm-hmm. I think it sort of shook him out of mm-hmm. – it shook him out of a place where he might have been coasting or doing – I mean he was just like – I'm going to I'm going to meet him there. Like he was right. challenged to honor what Freddie was bringing. And so mm-hmm. I think we got a really great performance out of Johnny because those kids yeah. were so real that he just kind of was taking care of them and developing a relationship with them and horsing around with them offset. He had a fart machine that he would play like at a dinner table scene. If the kids were supposed to be laughing, he'd trigger the fart machine. And he he got really into yes. provoking the shepherding their performances and provoking them. And uh, and and he connected with them and I think that's what the movie shows you is that, yeah. that that's all real he really he was feeling all that stuff so mm. I think that's a really that's a really really tr- true performance from him yeah very, it's a beautiful, very honest. beautiful film yeah. and uh, I must discuss uh, The Kite Runner which is another just incredible yeah film. I, can't, I mean I can't believe just to complete and then when like, like yeah, we were working on Strangers in Fiction at the time that we got the Kite Runner. And my Mark will just, you know, he's very subtle and very low-key. Yeah. I don't want to do an impression of him in case he watches it. But he's Swiss German and he's very kind of zen. And he's like, oh, yeah. we're going to do this book, The Kite Runner. Are you familiar with it? I'm like, yeah, my wife is freaking out on that. We're doing The Kite Runner? He's like, yeah, I just get back from meeting. I think we're going to do The Kite Runner next. And and I just couldn't believe that we got to do that mm-hmm. book because it was such a, you know, yeah. big read and important book. and. And and they, he, I think you could have done something, you could have done the very easy version of that and shot it, you know, in Mojave and used Ben Kingsley and the brown skin guy from Lost or, right, right. you know, just done like kind of a Hollywood version. And he right. went to Kashgar, which is in northern China, and he mm-hmm. cast kids from Afghanistan. He went to elementary schools in Afghanistan and he brought kids out to Kashgar mm-hmm. to go for authenticity. He slept in a yurt above the snow line. I mean, he committed to making something that was authentic and Khaled Husseini was kind of his, mm-hmm. you know, you know, that was his, he just wanted to please Khaled Husseini. That was sort of his focal, you know, his, his, his bullseye. Right. And, uh, and Khaled loved it and took it to his dad who basically was Baba, who was the father in the book. And mm-hmm. before his dad died, he showed it to him on his deathbed and it was a very emotional like experience. And I, I wept. I oh my wept God, it's so at sad. the avid, you know, if I don't cry, then nobody else is going to cry. So I would just sit there and, <laughs> You know, just make myself cry. Like I could make myself cry a little more, and I would just, you know, it's like it was a, it was a real, uh, the, and the, that's one of those movies uh, uh, that is like if you, if you get people emotional in the first reel or two, yeah, or at least hitched up, like if you hear people kind of going, you know, yes. then you're like, oh, they're gone. You know, by the time we get to the end of the movie, they're gonna, you know, they'll, they won't. So you and you would hear people in test audiences kind of like, and it wasn't that there was something particularly sad going on. It was just the dignity that the movie gave those characters and the humanity of it, like To Kill a Mockingbird right. kind of just dignity. And uh, and so even there was nothing really emotional going on, you were still kind of like, oh, the humanity. And uh, it, I, I love that movie. There um, is there temp music that you use again and again? I can't believe you brought up temp music on The Kite Runner because that is a very interesting... Yeah. I used uh, Explosions in the Sky. I almost used exclusively the Friday Night Lights soundtrack by Explosions <laughs> in the Sky, which is not what you would think you would put on that, but I was listening to it at the time because I just worked with Brian Reitzel, who was uh-huh. a music supervisor on Stranger Than Fiction, and he'd given me the CD, 
And it's really weird as an editor, I find sometimes things find you, you find the things you need or the things you need find you when you're working on a particular project. Mm -hmm. And that kind of fell into my transom. And I digitized it with a lot of other scores, but it just kept coming back. And it was not Afghani. There was no like three stringed oud being played, but it, (laughs) it, it, and it was very, it was very first world. Right. But it, just cut to the heart of that movie and so I, I stuck I, I I was very committed to to that score I used that a lot I use that and I use there's an Aphex Twin uh-huh. double CD called Ambient Works 1 and 2 that works for anything because it's very non-specific it's emotional but it doesn't right. prescribe the emotion it's yes. really good it's really the, those yeah, are, those are kind like, of crutchy things that I use no but, it's yeah. some certain things always, yeah. always temp score is a big deal huge yeah. Yeah. Some movies without a temp score yeah, no. and I've actually we've had a couple of amazing experiences with scoring. I use a company called Ashen Spencer um, mm-hmm. that I met through commercials. They do mainly commercials. I think they may have only done a couple other things. Mainly, they've done three of our movies. They did Machine Gun Preacher, mm-hmm. and they did Stay, and they did uh, Monsters Ball. And uh, they'll write me music based on the script. So they all get like a collective, and they'll just get right. together and respond. And they're they have all this time and money in a studio, not money, but they I mean they have a lot of time. So they'll just play all the stuff they're feeling and they'll give it to me and then I can put it where I want. And that's right. my temp score, but we, it's ours. So there's no demo love. You just kind of go, you know, yeah, that can live there. And, mm-hmm. and wow. so, and it's that priest, we call it pre-scoring. Right. And, uh, and it just, it's the sublime way to work. Cause you really, you, I get to, I, I get to take music that I can keep and put it where I want. So it's mm-hmm. sort of like, you don't have to like listen to a composer and go, why are you, what are you doing there? Or like that's right. not what I was picturing. You're really, you're just you're choosing it, and then they hear it, and you go, "Oh, you put that piece there. Cool. Well, let's gank it to the picture now that you that you chose that." And and it's yeah, it's it's that's a great way to work. Any like heartbreak scenes? You're like, <laughs> oh, I can't believe that film, and I had to cut that scene. Like I still mourn scenes that were that, that I was but, cut, that cut that were cut away. Al, yeah, Allison Anderson like, and I we talk. Tell all me, of, tell me about it. What, it was what, uh, once. it was uh, Grace of My Heart. We had a, a extended scene, and our our producer, you know, uh, Mr. Scorsese and Thelma, we screened the film, and they didn't think it went well in screening, so they cut the scene and. Allison and I always, uh, oh. we we sort of thought it hurt the film. But. Was it during the time when things went to the yes. DVD? So that yeah. is sort of always the, the yeah. rationality is like, hey, it'll be a great extra scene. So right. it, li- it lives somewhere, right? But you know, but it doesn't. But it doesn't. It's not where it should be. Yeah, right, right. So it doesn't work. So uh, things like that. You- I don't. You know, I think I'm sort of of the mind that that most movies get where they need to go and I I stick with the I, I support the cut that winds up whether it's through machinations with the studio or right. test audiences like I'm not into the Apocalypse Now redo thing where you sort of go back and watch yeah. them get together with the Playboy bunnies I'm like there's a reason why they Playboy bunnies take off and we don't see them again I don't want to see Chef and <laughs> Miss September right. canoodling in a helicopter in a swamp I just did you know I was like yeah. so I, I'm cool I'm cool with the one that got done i don't i don't hang on the on the stuff that go, that falls by the wayside because i, I kind of trust the process i think uh-huh. it kind of works itself out uh okay you have to go so we're we, have to go. Go. we didn't even get to your current God, i'm just winding so up so you have to come back we right. have to come back right. we didn't even get to james bond how did you feel the first time you cut the scene bond 
James Bond. Well, do you just it like wasn't die? Gonna, it wasn't going to be in the movie. <laughs> Mark decided that he didn't want to do that no. in our Bond movie, and we were like, "What?" He's what? a very eclectic guy. Uh, so it was. Uh, it was. We 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 almost didn't have that. I think. You know, I don't think that it's actually in our movie. I don't think he says. He Bond never says. Bond. Bond. What no. about shaking that stirred? No, we, we were just after the origin one, so we I'll didn't get to do. We didn't get to <laughs> kale <laughs> kale I? kale hemp I'd salad. Like some... <laughs> um, no, but I did have a moment with Daniel where. Uh, which was very exciting. The whole time you're on a Bond movie, you're just like, what, what time is it? The whole time you're on a Bond movie, you're like, I can't believe this is happening. I can't it's, time, believe this it's time for you to go. Where's my time? It's 10 of it's three. Okay. So, so yeah, you're sort of like, I can't believe this is happening. And we had a teaser trailer that they put together that was super boffo. And we were still yeah. shooting at Pinewoods. They were gathering everybody to watch it. And it was a very dog and pony show. And the only way to play it was you had to you like have somebody in the cutting room play it out of the Avid to the theater that was downstairs. So I'd run down to the theater and they'd say, they just cut B camera, play in the tra- teaser trailer. And everybody would shepherd in and I'd pick up the phone and say, okay, press play. So they were like, okay, they just cut the A team. It's the last one. We just got to do one more. And so I ran down the stairs <laughs> and I ran up into the theater and the lights were going down and Daniel was in his you know, tuxedo at the top of the stairs. And he's like, how you doing? And he stuck his hand out. And it was like Spider-Man had just shot Webb in my face. <laughs> so I was like, you're not real. Like it was just... Absolutely, like avoided my bowels. You know, it's just because it I'm like this with him for, and then he just pops off the screen and stuck his hand out, and I was like, "Don't do that." Um, yeah, so it was, there's a lot, and the whole the whole Bond thing is just a pinch me a pinch pinch me moment. But we'll do we'll talk about it next time. Yes, we will. Cutting villains all right. and yeah. all that stuff. Matt, uh, thank when, you so when much. Does Christopher Robin come out August third. Christopher yeah. Robin comes out August third. Okay, okay. So we're in a theater you near see you. It back around then. Thank you, Matt. Yeah. Please uh, come you back. Can buy Ileana's book. I believe Dennis yes, Hopper. Uh, every Everywhere, uh, Everywhere. Look at us on Facebook, yes. website, ilianaspodcast.com. We're Woo! running. Everyone's life is like a movie with a beginning, scene. a middle, and an end. And this is the end of our podcast. Thanks for being here. Thanks We're for having live. me. Goodbye. Bye, Goodbye. Everybody. Goodbye, everyone. From producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, we would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit popcorntalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network.